Welcome to another special edition of the Ninja Tune podcast with our guest Sarathi Kulwa, interviewed by Throwing Shade, who was a previous guest on the show. He talks about the recording of his new album, Day to Day, that's out on Ninja Tune, touring with Kamasi Washington, and their shared experiences at the School of Oriental and African Studies. We also hear just some of the music that has influenced him over the years. After that, we turn our attention to some of the new releases coming out on the Ninja Tune family of labels, with tracks by Romare, The Invisible, remixed by Floating Points, Thundercat, Machine Drum, and Roots Maneuver, remixed by Pinch. So stay tuned for that. Welcome to the Ninja Tune podcast. I'm Nabiha, otherwise known as Throwing Shade, and today I'm going to be chatting to Sarthi Korwa, who's just released his debut album on Ninja Tune. Hello. <laughs> How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well, yeah. It's a nice day. Um, so it's really good to chat to you on here because yeah. we've already done this We've before, done this before yeah. on my NTS show yeah. and I think that went really well yeah. um, it's always really interesting to speak to you about your music yeah. and your influences oh, so it's great to chat yeah yeah maybe you want to start by just introducing your album yeah. that's just come out on Ninja yeah. so the album's called Day to Day and it's based around these field recordings I made of these uh, folk musicians called the Siddhis who are a community of people who over kind of centuries have migrated from the eastern coast of Africa over to India, you know, from as merchants and, you know, traders and from way back in like the 8th century AD to like with all the colonies, so with the British, with the Dutch, with the Portuguese, with the French. And uh, and I've just been coming ever since and I've now kind of settled in India. So it's, the Siddhi is kind of like a ban- sort of blanket term for anybody who has immigrated from from Africa, East Africa. So it's hard to tell where exactly they're from or if, if they are from any one specific place. Um, but their music really fascinated me, you know. So I kind of um, 
heard about them through an ethnomusicologist called Amy Catlin Jarazboy uh and she told me about them and I was you know hooked when I saw the kind of music they were making the kind of instrumentation they have just their kind of history and like cultural sort of you know distinctiveness that they have about them and so I kind of went and spent like a week just recording them in in a place called Ratanpur which is in on the western coast well not on the coast it's in the western uh state of Gujarat in India and then we basically kind of made these recordings uh well these field recordings kind of as the kind of core sort of foundation of the album and there's loads of like I suppose like responses and like reactions to those kind of field recordings by like contemporary musicians that makes the like the whole album basically. And when you went out to record the um musicians in their in their homes in India were you already planning to write an album so was it part of the project or Yeah, it, it was part from? of the project. But it was a very rough idea in my mind. I just thought I'd want to spend time with these guys and then see what happens basically. I had no idea what kind of music I'll end up with after the first week with them. Um once i had once i had spent time with them i was kind of thinking through like very naturally like some kind of ideas started kind of developing and uh, i kind of worked on a few arrangements or different songs but essentially i wanted everybody who i wanted to record like the contemporary musicians especially to just be able to kind of have their thumb or like print on the mark on their album like so them to kind of just like come up with stuff themselves um so it was a very kind of you know in a way democratic way of just making music and how did you get from the field recordings to then this album that's like spiritual jazz i don't know i don't know it's just free form kind of stuff well the idea was again like to record in a room together basically i mean we've talked about this before but it's basically like i think i enjoy like creating music in a room like with other people like just playing and that's where i'm kind of most comfortable Um so that's exactly what I did basically we went into a room uh in a studio and we just played and what's on the album now is just you know is essentially that it's just me sitting behind a computer after recording hundreds of hours of music and then just like editing it down to you know make it sound like something
So was it mostly improvisations? Yeah, it was all improvised. And I mean, we kind of worked on a few rough structures, but a lot of it is quite improvised. And we kind of worked on things that just came on the day. I mean, the whole album was recorded over four days, like in the studio. We just That's boom, like, done. <laughs> I, and, I'm know. trying to write an album right now. If I could do it in four days, that would be pretty good. But I think, you, <laughs> I mean, the way you do it is quite different, no? Like, so you kind of... Like, tell me how you, you got to tell it, me your secret. Your secret, just go and play. That's it. <laughs> well, I don't have like uh, East African diasporic this field recordings to base it. But maybe I should. Maybe I should try. Well, that how do approach. you normally do it then? Like, do you have a way of working? It just depends. I mean, I guess it starts from the same sort of process that you have of improvisation, but just I'm alone, so yeah. just messing about and then finding either starting with the drums and seeing if I come up with a pattern that I like or otherwise just trying to figure out some chords or even just the melody line and then taking it from there and do you like do you do you enjoy working by yourself like is that something that you always kind of wanted to do or? yeah I don't mind it I mean it's fine but it's the, like the last couple months I've just been by myself basically the whole time <laughs> because I'm in the studio all day and then I go home and I live by myself and so it's been quite like yesterday I was thinking wow I haven't actually spoken to anyone in real life for a few days well, this is the problem right I think like nobody warns you what life as a freelance musician would be like like it's a very lonely affair like it could be quite a solitary kind of it is. Thing, it just right? it basically just reminds me of academia when I was yeah. studying for my master's. Well, exactly, and it's like it's something thing. that I wasn't like prepared for in a way when it kind of started happening, and I was like, shit, actually, like I don't really meet too many people on like a very everyday kind of basis. Yeah. And I think I prefer that. You I prefer think I choose that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think. I mean, I enjoy it as well, but it, it's just that I wasn't. It was. It kind of came as a, a bit of a like shock. You know, it was like, oh, actually, you know what? This is how. It works. But then you, but you work with other musicians too, though. I do a lot. I think I think that kind of comes from also the need to kind of like just interact with people and like, yeah, just play with them very often. Like even when I practice, I like practicing with other people. Uh, sometimes you know, it's of course like fun to do your own thing. Like, but I really do like value like collaborating with people. I mm-hmm. think that's like the core of how I make music. Yeah, so that's, yeah, I guess that's probably one of the big differences yeah. between us and our music, for sure. Mm. 
I just want to ask you a few more questions about the album. It It is one of my favorite records that I've heard this year. And I'm not just saying that. And um, then after, oh no, was it before the release that you went on tour with Kamasi? Yeah, it was just before. before, So it worked out really well, like in terms of like a lead up to the album launch and things it was uh, we got a call out of the blue like my booking agent called me and said like are you free next week like for four days to go on tour and I was like no you know I have stuff to do I have like interviews to do and she was like it's with Kamasi Washington and I was like alright okay <laughs> stop everything <Yeah. laughs> cancel everything and like frantically calling the band to like you know try and see if it can work and I mean everybody was obviously very excited it was a great opportunity so everybody kind of jumped at it so yeah it was great I mean you know just playing like like you say you know like free kind of spiritual jazz to like 3000 people it just doesn't happen and I didn't know what I was doing there the first night. And I was just like, what? what? You know, this is not right in some way. <laughs> of course, it was fun. It was great. Yeah. And I mean, it was a great opportunity. But I feel like Kamasi Washington's kind of paving the way for all of well, that is, stuff. A, you know, like a revival where it's he's presenting this kind of jazz music to a younger contemporary audience. Well, why do you think that is? Like, do you have any, like... Why do I think Why that? Why do you think Kamasi is, you know, like, because I've had this discussion with a lot of people and it's you know, like, You yeah. know, because he's got kudos and he's got his connections and, you know, he's associated with Thundercat and Flying Lotus and so many other musicians who yeah. are really relevant. I think the whole Kendrick Lamar thing as well really yeah, kind exactly. of took off for him. Yeah, Because I feel like... Um, Thundercat and all these guys. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> Young people don't listen to enough jazz music. Mm. But there's that whole, like like idea of like jazz is like the renaissance it's like a resurgence right of like jazz and everybody's talking about it like jazz is the new thing um, which is kind of helpful for me obviously yeah, because it's like okay me. great no. <laughs> <laughs> well it might be you never yeah. know like, but also because like everything's being called jazz nowadays as well like you know it's quite a loose term and I mean I'm not particularly like you know I don't think that's particularly a bad thing it might not be but yeah, it's definitely like people like Kamasi, I think like, I don't think my album would have done as well if Kamasi hadn't been a success. Do you really think so? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I genuinely think that, that I think the fact that he is also like on Brain Feeder and the fact that he is such a success, a lot of people look at him and say, okay, like, you know, it's possible to do the kind of thing that he's doing and maybe we should invest in maybe, you know, more jazz
What does it feel like to be a jazz musician in London right now? I think it's exciting. There's lots of really cool... I think like the London jazz scene right now is like really, really kind of paving the way. I mean, I can't really speak for like, I don't really know any other scene as well as I do, obviously. But I think like, you know, with some great bands and like the whole kind of Caribbean inspired, like influence, like jazz, like it's just such a melting pot, obviously that you know all these kind of, like people like Yusuf Kamal or like uh, Binkar and Moses and like Shabaka Sons of Kemet and like Comet is coming and like exciting music you know coming out of London I don't know if that kind of stuff is coming out of New York or of course New York has like the heavy heavy cats you know like the uh, Mark Julianas and like all the like Brad Meldows and all those guys which is cool and of course they'll always have their like, place in like the jazz world but I think there's a lot of exciting music coming out that kind of is reaching a lot of people who wouldn't maybe be listening to jazz or that kind of music before so yeah. that's good no it's definitely good definitely good yeah. I think jazz normally has quite a cheesy reputation yeah when you say that word and you ask people what what it makes them think of and yeah. it's never the good it's, stuff it's all this Kenny G isn't it yeah Kenny G not Kenny Garrett <laughs> yeah 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 so also I wanted to ask you about five tracks that yeah you were influenced by yeah or like whatever like five tracks that you can choose yeah so I had to think about this and like it's been obviously very difficult but I've come up with five which is for me quite a accomplishment in itself um, so the first track so I thought it'll be like I should pick like five tracks that like over time like since I was a kid that have kind of influenced the way I think about music so like the first track I would say is like is The End by The Doors. Okay. Because I was a big Doors fan, like, going, growing up, like, since I was about 12, 13, like, and right up to now, basically. But just because, like, they're one of the first bands that I really, like, listened to, like, entire albums of. And, again, like, I think the kind of music that I was listening to even back then, even though it was, like, rock, rock and roll kind of music, it always had this kind of very jazz sensibility because like all the guys in the band were basically jazz musicians. This is the end, beautiful friend. This is the end, my only friend, the end of our elaborate plans, the end. Of everything that stands the end No safety or surprise the end I'll never look into your eyes again Can you
Yeah, so the Doors were like a big, ba- like, like very formative band for me. Like in the in the way I was listening to music, and like the end is one of those songs, man. Like it's like what 11 minutes long, 12 minutes long, and like for a band to do that, and just the way it's kind of structured and like Im- like musically, as well as like its kind of narrative structure is so unique, and like. Yeah, it's like they were like pioneering that kind of stuff back then. It was great. Yeah, they definitely got the, their own sound. Yeah, the doors. Even when you put it, them into the context of all the other music that was happening at well, the same exactly. time. And also, it was that whole lack of bass player and like organ kind of sound because of you know Ray, Ray Manzarek and like John Densmore on drums, like Robbie Krieger. All these guys had something like very distinctive about them. And so, yeah, that's my like first track. So how did you come to London when you started studying at SOAS? Yeah, so I kind of finished like my undergrad in in a place called Pune in India, and then I moved over to study music when I was about 22. Was your undergrad not in music? No, it was in environmental science, sustainable like energy. So it's quite a jump then. Yeah, I was all set on becoming like an urban planner or something, and then it was just like I think my my teachers at uni went very very good. It was just not a very inspiring place to be, and at the same time, I was playing a lot more music and just getting into like the the scene in Pune, which is a really nice, like, good scene musically. And um, so, like, you know, after university, I just took a year out just playing and teaching drums, and from then on, it was never kind of like I didn't look back in terms of like. You started playing drums a lot earlier, though, right? No, I mean, yeah, I started playing drums when I was about fifteen, sixteen. Uh, I started playing tabla when I was about eight. Okay. So, like by the time I was about nineteen, twenty, I was playing a lot more drums than tabla. Uh, I always really wanted to just play drums. Like tabla happened, and I like obviously, like I love tabla and like and I play a lot of it. But and you still it, play it now. I still right? play it a lot. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like my bread and butter. Like tabla, kind of go back to the tabla all the time, and I still enjoy playing a lot of like Indian classical music, and it's still my you know kind of main thing in a way. Um, But yeah, I always wanted to be a drummer. Like, like I was listening to like growing up, listening to like jazz records or like rock and roll, and it was always like drums. Like, yeah. And so, in that year out, when you were playing a lot more music, is that when you decided? You yeah, it was kind of this one year out where I kind of gave myself some time to say, okay, look, if it's kind of, is this really something that I could do, like money wise, but also just like excitement wise. Like it was a time where, you know, like in uni and like university, you're a bit like. There's lots of stuff happening, and there's lots of like interests, and some things like, you know, make more sense than others. But like, you kind of got to pursue one of them to see if there is anything in it for you. And um, so yeah, once I took that year out, it was just like you know, I, yeah, just no looking back from then. Like it was just like, yeah. And how how is your time at SOAS? And for, I guess for yeah. any, if anyone's wondering, SOAS stands for the School of Oriental and African Studies, yeah. which is one of the colleges in the University of London. Yeah. 
and so we that's the kind of shared connection that we yeah. have right so you went there when did you go there i went there for my undergrad and i was there from 2006 to 2009 right so i was there 2011 to 12 like so i just did my masters there okay um so yeah so we well, just missed each other by a few years a few years yeah, yeah but yeah. i guess probably nothing much had changed in the music department no i bet it's exactly the same <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was great. So I went to music school before I went to SOAS, like for a couple of years here in London. And that was very different. That was like a contemporary music school. So it was very much like, you know, just like all about practice and like getting the right kind of technique and like chops and, you know, um, heavily playing a lot of jazz at the time. And um, and then SOAS was like a breath of fresh air because it was so like multicultural and so so open in terms of the kind of exposure I was getting at SOAS and the kind of people I was meeting, the kind of discussions we were having, the kind of classes I was taking. Um, so like we both did ethnomusicology, didn't we? Like I did kind of performance in ethnomusicology. Now, what did you do? Mine was just ethnomusicology. I actually studied joint honours, so I did history right. and ethnomusicology. Yeah. So what was like? What was your experience with SOAS like? Yeah, it was amazing. I love SOAS. <laughs> um, and I wish I'd done my undergrad there because I feel like SOAS would have been a lot more fun as a, like an undergrad student than as a master's student. Yeah, the master's students like, were always a lot more serious. Yeah, and it was just, yeah. I spent a lot of time in the library. Yeah, I was, was known as the library girl. Really? Yeah, because I, I was like a real geek at uni, especially in final year. And every single day I went in there from 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. Oh, no, man. And people started calling me library girl. That's not cash. I know. It's a good library, though. Yeah, it's really it's good. good. It's a good library. You can, like, cut the sexual tension with a knife in there. It's true. I went, it's really, I went yeah. back, like, a few years later just to, I don't know, look something up. And it just hit me then. I was like, geez, this <laughs> it's is true. so you don't, much. You don't feel it when you're in there. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, and yeah, everyone's really good looking at SOAS. SOAS. So, everyone's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Once someone passed me a note through the book stacks. Really? Well yeah. done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nice. <laughs> it didn't go anywhere. No. Um, yeah. No. I, I I really appreciate appreciated my time at SOAS, and I mean for my masters, I then went to Cambridge, which was at the opposite end of the spectrum, and so then that kind of put SOAS into even more of a perspective right. for me. Right. Um, it's definitely a unique place to study. Yeah. But uh, do you think it kind of like changed the way you kind of went about making music you were making music before then right yeah i've been ma i was making music before i mean for sure i guess the main thing that studying at soas did for me was just to broaden my horizons mm. because it introduced me to so many musical styles and cultures that i'd never even heard of before yeah and then um yeah so it just made me want to look further and learn more about different processes as well and yeah. like how people perform or put yeah. together music and also what it means for different people so I what think music means what to different music yeah means. absolutely i think that's one thing that i also kind of like it kind of definitely shattered a lot of ideas of or like preconceptions of what music might be just to me or like in a very narrow sense like what it is to me like as an urban kid yeah like you know oh, well, I guess like the way that I grew up music music the role that music plays here is just you listen to music for the sake of listening to music yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's true for anyone. I mean, for a lot of people anyway. I think that's true regardless of where you grow up. I mean, like in a certain kind of world, it's 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 essentially how you access music. I guess for in a the first time. world, yeah, maybe. More. Yeah. But then, um, yeah. So I never really thought about it more than other, you know, more than just oh, I love this song and I enjoy listening to music and playing it and going to gigs, and then being at SOAS 
just made me realize that actually there's a lot there is a lot more to it yeah and you should think about it more too yeah i think also like it kind of helped me like just be more aware of the kind of like prejudices or the kind of like power equations that do exist like in different kind of in a more kind of anthropological sense i guess that's what ethnomusicology does in a way right it kind of makes you more aware of who you are in relation to to the kind of music you're listening to or performing yeah and that was quite helpful like in terms of like how i ended up then like thinking about the own music my own music and the way like i wanted to kind of perform it and the kind of context i was performing it in and like who it was for and what the meaning of like performing it was <laughs> all those kind of questions that was yeah it was cool to go through all those things i think i'm still figuring it out yeah yeah of course sure. like and it changes i guess right yeah
what's your second track? Okay, so like the second track is, uh, do you know this band called Dawn of Midi? Dawn of Midi? Yeah. As on, in Midi uh, track. Midi track, yeah. They're no. on Erase Tapes. Uh, a great band, like three-piece, um, super like minimalist kind of like, yeah, like just minimalist kind of groove ideas. You gotta listen to it to kind of see what I mean. Um, it's yeah it's it's incredible in fact one of the tracks on my albums like heavily influenced by them like the track indefinitely to remain on my album is kind of based around a similar kind of rhythmic idea that i found on the dawn of midi album um already like inspired by like it's yeah something that i wanted to try in my own music um yeah it's great don't know what else to say about it but it's, it's great okay. i like it yeah. we'll just listen to it yeah just listen to it After you finished studying, did you just figure out that you just wanted to stay in London? Well, yeah, that was the plan. Like, I wanted to stay in London and uh, just play for a bit. I did consider doing a PhD, but then... No. No, it just wasn't. I mean, I would do a PhD, but it's like, I really just enjoy playing. Like, if somebody gave me the option to, like, just be playing music full-time, I would not turn it down, like... Yeah, no so it was way. always this thing like, oh, maybe I should do a PhD because, you know, maybe like the performance stuff will dry up. Or, no, but, and so there was, yeah. besides, if you were, t- you were talking about feeling isolated, doing a PhD would make it gone, way worse. Gone, I need therapy. Straight, yeah, that's what away. I realized when I was doing my MPhil because I was kind of right. on the same path and thinking, oh, well, I'll do this. It's like, you know, on the way to a PhD. Yeah, but also everyone expects you to, right? If you're doing an MPhil, it's like everybody yeah. just kind of assumes well that's what she's gonna do yeah but no way no. <laughs> that year just made me realize i can't do that because that was really like isolating yeah i think i mean it was cool it was cool to just delve into one subject so deeply and be surrounded by all the resources you need and you yeah. know like great and what was the MPhil in though? um it was in african history okay but specifically i was looking at the role of the black press the political role of the black press during apartheid in South Africa. South Africa, okay. That's cool. Yeah. And then did you, were you making music at the same time or? Yeah, I was making music at the same time, but you know, I never really thought anyone would listen to it. Yeah. Just, I've been making music, I guess since I was about 15 or 16 stuff. Yeah. And then it, things just took a weird turn for me too, because I was planning to be a lawyer. Okay. Barrister. Nice. Yeah. And then what, what happened? <laughs> I don't know. That's what my parents are still asking yeah. me. <laughs> and then, and then? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I don't know really. Like I was doing that, I did the law conversion course, I did the bar, then I went out to South Africa and I was working there with human rights lawyers. And then I came back to London and then, yeah. And then all this music stuff just started happening. Like I got offered my own show on NTS mm-hmm. and then- um, That's a wicked show by the way. Oh it's yeah, really thanks. Great. It's a really nice show. <laughs> Gotta do it tomorrow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then after that, and then my sound like Kasim Moss picked up my SoundCloud and liked the tracks and then he got in touch and wanted to release it and then everything's just been kind of spiraling from there. Yeah. And I just thought if I don't take this opportunity now, when am I gonna take it? Mm. So I was like, I'm gonna do music full time for That's a bit. It. That's it. It's hard but it's fun. Oh it's fun, it's great. I mean But everything's hard at the beginning, so Yeah. I think so. Yeah. your third track that you've chosen so the third track is by this guy called Jamayo Brown who's um, this drummer and like composer who had this like amazing album called Transcendence in back in 2013 and it just completely blew my mind it was like it's basically an album that's based around like this one choir of gospel musicians uh, in I think from Alabama not sure entirely but uh, the G's band community yeah and uh, it's like this free jazz album based around this gospel like samples and it was so amazing it just completely like it was so fresh it was just so great like I really I loved it and that kind of inspired me to think about like doing a similar album in terms of like basing it around like music that I really like you know like value like admire and so that's how I kind of in a way that album was like very very influential in the way I started thinking about how I should work with samples and with the Siddhi musicians Um, and so it kind of yeah you can definitely hear like his his stuff you know influencing my work a lot you made me want to listen to that album now it's a great album really really great Everything is moving, 
parents cool with that yeah they're both really cool with it i think i mean they've always been quite cool with it they they both sing like kind of semi-professionally um so they were always kind of very encouraging and they've always just said like yeah they've not really meddled in anything to the point where sometimes i need to ask their opinion on things like they they just kind of have this very laid-back attitude really yeah it's it's amazing that's quite unusual for asian parents yeah it is and i mean i mean everybody kind of is really surprised when i say that but like you should yeah yeah they're amazing yeah that really helped i mean what can i say <laughs> yeah. yeah my parents are coming around to it no they're coming around they they're cool with it now but i think they won't be totally cool with it until i actually make loads of money from it right because have you broken it to them that might like that might take a while yeah well it might take a while but it's got to happen yeah 
it's gonna happen yeah. it's gonna happen yeah. I have to do it gonna I wanna live it. in the Barbican and, <laughs> and, I, and I wanna I want a Ferrari nice. so alright <laughs> that, well, that's like the ultimate dream yeah, yeah. I don't know if that will happen that's cool but on that so you're making another album you're on you're kind of currently yeah I'm trying to work on music for an album and it's yeah it's amazing to be able to do that I've just moved into a new music studio so I can just focus 100% um and yeah it just kind of reminds me of just being back at the library again yeah. you know I mean like quite it is a bit like that isn't it? yeah 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 I'm making sure I just get in there all day every day and just work but the thing is with something creative it's like you can do 10 hours work and nothing comes out of it but then you kind of have to go through that beautiful struggle and then you get to that one kind of like moment of epiphany where you get mm. a good idea and then you can just yeah. make a track yeah yeah it's about breaking through that kind of barrier isn't it yeah. like i think like it's very hard to kind of keep playing when you when you feel like it's not going anywhere and like your initial kind of instinct is to just stop playing exactly and just like take a break but sometimes like you just have to keep just, going yeah and then when you stop caring a little bit it kind of comes yeah. sometimes also i yeah. think i need to care less but it's just difficult i mean the other day my dad was telling me he's like you just need to make optimistic music that makes people feel happy but then everything that i'm thinking about right now is so depressing because 2016, 2016. is the worst year so far it's been pretty bad in terms of world events yeah so i just feel like <laughs> I don't know, making depressing music. But I guess you can still be optimistic. Yeah, but do you go into like, when you're thinking about making music, do you think about like themes and stuff? Or do you think about like... Not always, but not sometimes, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. See, I always kind of find it a bit weird like to think about like themes like that. Yeah. Purely because like, I kind of feel like when you're listening to songs like your emotional response should probably be more like complex than like any one kind of theme that you might be thinking about you know and like the songs that I really love or like the kind of music that like really makes an impact on me is stuff that uh, is difficult to kind of articulate like in any kind of words or in any kind of emotion really in like one emotion so like trying to make music I find it difficult like trying to make music with something in mind like a theme in mind in sense because it 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 surely has to be like more complex than that in a way. So what's your fourth track? Fourth track is the by this person called Ustad Rashid Khan who's a Indian classical singer, Hindustani singer, as uh, very famous singer and he's singing this uh, composition in rag bahar which is uh, bahar means outside and it's kind of like a springtime. Is it morning or evening? Well, it depends. I mean, it's more like got to do with the this it's more a seasonal thing than a day and night thing. So Rag Bahar is that. Um I I picked this song because it's just one of my favorite like compositions or not comp I mean kind of renditions of Bahar that I enjoy. I really like his voice. Um could have picked a lot I mean, I could have picked from a lot of different singers or but i just wanted to have one indian classical song in there because it's such a huge influence on the way i work and it's just i still listen to a lot of it you know like if you go through my spotify playlist a lot of it is just indian classical music so Oh, yeah, yeah. 
How do you feel about working with samples in general anyway is it I something love it. you do it a lot yeah i mean it's it's far more interesting because then i don't need to write a lot of music like it just gives you a kind of framework to work like or to improvise within so the samples just give you a certain like melodic or like rhythmic framework or like you know because you're, you're hearing things and then you're playing your reactions to that and so automatically there's already like everybody's locking into those ideas it's not completely free you know um but it it just gives you that kind of focus i think that really i i really like just enough you know not too much not too much like direction in terms of like what exactly to play but just enough to kind of focus you into playing yeah yeah i guess it makes things a bit easier yeah i just think like i found a nice balance at least uh that i was happy with like everybody's obviously got different you know yeah i think um on your record you do it in a pretty good way because i mean like talking about sampling anyway can be quite contentious but yeah. I, what i liked on your record is how you hear on quite a few of the tracks you hear the recording first and then yeah. and then the music will fade into it so it's almost like a sort of gate into yeah exactly on a couple of songs that's definitely like the the kind of like attempt like on dreaming and things like that it's just basically this person talking and then the sample leads into like a whole dream basically and comes out into him speaking again and like a lot of yeah definitely like used it in that sense mera to aap bhi iski khoobsurti mein aapko dikha dega ye kitna pyara pyari cheez hai bhale ek tar ka hai lekin kitni pyari cheez hai pehle to aapko iski khoobsurti mein dikha dega ye हमारे जो हुजूर सल्लल्लाहु अलैहि वसल्लम थे आप हमारे हजरत बिलाल थे हजरत सैद नबी आप उनकी मंगनी के अंदर गए थे तो आप सरकार ने वहाँ पे बाजा देखा गया माशाल्लाह सरकार बोला आप क्या तो बड़ा प्यारा बाजा तो आप सरकार बोलते कि आपको बजाते आता है बिलाल को बुला के बेशक बोले बिलाल बिलाल बोलते मेरे को बेशक बजा जाता है तो बोले कैसे बजा दे तो बोले दिखा बोले तो क्या बोलता है मेरी मुझे सुना तो फिर बाजा आपने आप सरकार ने आप बाजा बजाया तो फिर बाजा देखो उसकी खूबसूरत क्या बोलता है तो पहले आपने बजाया पहले आपने बजाया 
Do you think you'll carry on making music with um, like an explicit reference to your heritage of Indian music? I mean, I'm not going to try to, but I think it's going to happen. Like, because it's there. And like, a lot of what I do is, comes from that kind of tradition of making music. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm going to explicitly try and do that, but it's going to be there in some way or the other. Do you use the same techniques? Because obviously, like, Indian classical music is all an oral technique. There's no sheet mm. music and mm. you just learn the yeah. scales and then you... I don't, like, you know. yeah, we don't use sheet music at all. I, I ban the whole band from using paper, like, sheets on stage. Really? Not allowed to use. Why no. did he... Where, well, did because that you come need to be able to look at other people and, like, react to what's happening there instead of staring at a piece of paper. It's just not... Do they put up a fight or not? No, most of them get it, you know. Most of them are quite happy as well. Because, like, having a piece of paper on stage also then... Well, you can't really make a mistake then because it's there. Like, you're under pressure to get things right. Like, if you, do, if you don't play it right, then you're like, oh, he hasn't written it right. Or he or she hasn't read it right. So, if you take it out of the way... You just play. I think there's less pressure. It definitely creates a barrier. Yeah. I guess the modern day version of that would be the laptop. Well, maybe, but not necessarily. No, it depends how you use the laptop. Yeah. yeah. But I think like I see a lot of jazz musicians playing like with like iPads now, like on their stands and like really. Reading. Yeah, it's 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 fine. I mean, it depends what you're trying to do. I guess like my whole thing is that when you're performing, you should just be trying to like find those moments of spontaneity with each other or like whatever and, and connecting yeah and that and pieces of paper like any information that's there staring you in the face is only going to come in the way i think okay so we've done four tracks now done four. what's the fifth and final one? Oh, like okay the final track is uh is a track called open by the necks do you know the necks this band uh they're like a three-piece australian band um are they new or old they, I mean, they've been they've been going since I think 1987. Um, so yeah, old, I guess. Um, they're amazing. They're incredible. They're like a mix of like Brian Eno, come like free improvisation, like in a very jazz sense of the word. Um, I mean, they're incredible. Their songs last like you know 45 minutes or like an hour long. Sounds like Indian music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm all for like long pieces of music like in general like um and they're incredible because yeah they i mean they just have such a great understanding of each other and the way they like develop songs like it's it's kind of like ambient music but it's played by what i enjoy about it is it's being played by three human beings like and it changes every time as opposed to maybe like brian you know who's great as well but you know it's more electronic music in a sense um so I, I mean they're incredible I saw them at Cafe Auto a couple of well it was last year actually at the London Jazz Festival um, with Evan Parker do you know Evan Parker yeah um, and it was just like one of the best gigs I'd ever seen like it just blew my mind what did they play? they just played two songs <laughs> like, no, 45 like what, minutes what each do they play oh, it's, on? it's like a very traditional setup so it's drums piano and uh, bass acoustic bass so it's like a jazz trio, but then it doesn't sound anything like a jazz trio. Like, so it's incredible. And like, yeah, it's really inspiring to kind of see the kind of choices they're making, like in a very like spontaneous way. Like I read this article about with the drummer who's saying like he tries not to be clever when he's playing. Like he tries not to like put in like too many like virtuosic ideas or like 
technical ideas when he's trying to play and he tries to just kind of focus on just being there in the moment and it's the same thing i think ultimately like the more i talk about it to people and like think about it it's that idea of surrender right in your music this idea of like complete like giving in to letting your body or like your your, your music kind of take over and that's what kind of attracts me anyway to like a lot of spiritual music like whether it's folk music or whether it's in jazz or class in classical music whatever and i think that's the reason why i like folk music so much or like i gravitate towards like working with folk music because it has that idea it's it's more easy to kind of uh delve into that world of like complete complete devotion you know uh, and sometimes it's like deeply re- religious but sometimes it does it isn't but either way you know with your Siddhi musicians that you were recording I guess it's both isn't it it's obviously it's, it's folk music but then a lot of them are Sufis yeah they're deeply like religious people all their songs are about their the Baba Gaur who's you know their the patron Sufi saint um, and that's you know that's just the way it is for them it's great like yeah and there's definitely something about sufi music i find at least anyway whenever i listen to it whichever part of the world it comes from that does have a very transcendental yeah. um side to it yeah i think that's the that's the whole attempt for them also as performers it's the act of performing isn't it rather than what they're actually creating for them it's like the 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 reason they're doing it is cuz they can themselves also like transcend like states in a way and like yeah i think it's more important definitely more important what your kind of why you're playing than what you end up playing in a way like it'll 
it'll be fine whatever it comes out but like the reason you're playing needs to be needs to be you need to be sure <laughs> why you're playing I remember that one <laughs> uh, um Okay, I, I think, think we've that's had five. That's yeah, five, that's yeah. five tracks, yeah. and we've had a good chat. We had a good chat. So maybe we should just round it off now. Could do, because otherwise we'll be here all day, and no one's going to listen to like a ten-hour podcast. This is true. This is true. Yeah, but thanks so much for chatting thanks to me. Thanks a lot for asking. Nice questions. And yeah, I'm sure we will talk again. <laughs>
Sarathi Korwa, interview by Throwing Shade. And now it's time to hear some new releases on the Ninja Tune family of labels, starting with the excellent Floating Points remix of Life Dancers by The Invisible. Life Dancers by The Invisible, remixed by Floating Points, which is out on NinjaTune. Next up, it's the first single from Romare's forthcoming Love Songs Part 2 LP, and this track is titled Who Loves You? That was Romare with Who Loves You, and that's out on Ninja Tune. Now it's a turn of Brutes Maneuver and the track Don't Breathe Out, remixed by Tectonic Bossman Pinch.
gets deep on something, it's awful, it's thoughtful, it's pain on the button, it's full of that self-discovery, can't discover me, God alone governs me. I know they don't like the word, but I shall observe and I shall do service. Here in the pulpit, the dog po-po, whom's and knows it, the twitch is low. Get to the blackness, get to the facts, the poor don't relax, the poor do funk, it's so clap. Twist and adapt with it. turn to Jesus black, cause we believe it's that way. Of that, know me, spirit, can't control me, spirit, can't console me, spirit, get to know me, spirit, get to grow me, spirit now. That was the pinch remix of Don't Breathe Out by Roots Maneuver, and that's on the Bleeds Deluxe LP on Big Dada. Next, we have the latest single from Thundercat, and it's called Bus in These Streets. Thundercat with Bus in These Streets, a comedic ode to our dependence on technology, and that's out on Brain Feeder. Finally, it's a brand new single from Machine Drum called Do It For You, featuring Dawn, and that's from the forthcoming album Human Energy. was Machine Drum with Do It For You featuring Dawn from his next album Human Energy coming out on NinjaTune. That's it for the NinjaTune podcast. Our thanks once again to Sarathi Korwa and Throwing Shade and assistant producer Luke. We'll be back with another edition soon. <laughs>